The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today my guest is Lee Ives, a private investigator and the author of Vanished. How to Protect Yourself and Your Children. Well, private investigators often get involved in executive protection, but in today's environment, we all seem to be at risk in one form or another. So Lee has joined us to provide his step-by-step recommendations to create a safety net for you, family, and your business. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show, Lee. Hi, Francie, and thank you very much for this opportunity. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Please tell us about your background. Besides being a private investigator, I know you're a consultant and a security specialist, and you operate GBP Consulting, investigating security services in Raleigh, North Carolina. But what else can you tell us about yourself? Okay, well, uh, I started out in the military as a young child. It seemed like it was over a century (laughs) ago. And I was in the military active duty army for approximately 10 years uh, as a military policeman and later a counterintelligence agent. And then I went into the Army Reserves for another 13 years and I worked as a counterintelligence agent and as a civil affairs specialist. So I've been overseas to many, many countries and After I got off the active duty army, I went to work for the Defense Intelligence Agency for a short period, and then I joined the legacy United States Customs Service Mm. Office of Investigations, and uh, I stayed with them up until we became the Department of Homeland Security, and then I eventually retired and went into my private business. Well, that's, and you were the resident agent in charge when that happened, right? Yes, I was a resident agent in charge up in uh, Maine, which was a rather cold place. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) That would be a hard place. Well, Maine's a great, beautiful place, though, but a hard place to to operate, probably. Um, So, I know that... uh, you're very proud of the fact that you and your sons were all serving in Iraq and, and Afghanistan at the same time. Yes, I am. Uh, when I decided to leave uh, what is called Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, I decided to become a private contractor for a while. And I worked for the Department of Defense and the Department of Army. And I was fortunate to be able to serve with both my sons. Uh, 
one who was a NCO in the Georgia Army National Guard, and the other one who is a captain on active duty. And I served with them in both countries. And uh, one of my older sons was attacked and injured. And I even ended up working his investigation that had uh, identified the terrorists that were charged with uh, attacking his unit. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Your wife must have been freaked out with all of you over there. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> she uh, she had a lot of support, but she's a strong woman. I mean, she talks about eight deployments between the three of us oh, over goodness. that 10-year period. So I she, can, she probably went through worse than we did. I can hear the mothers across the country heart stops <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine. So, so um, then you went out in the private sector. What What made you decide to do that, Lee? Well, as a contractor, I was learning a lot, uh, not only about investigations here in the United States, but investigations in other countries, uh, and not just terrorists, uh, involved, uh, you know, your common criminals. And their problems over there were much more serious than ours when it came to uh, missing children and missing adults, but also when it had to do with violence directed towards uh, children and adults. So I got a closer taste of it. Uh And when I got home, I guess it's it's sort of like when you buy that unique car you want, you find out everybody else is driving the same car. So Mm -hmm. when I was watching TV at home, I just became totally overwhelmed with the number of missing children and adults and our issue right here in the United States with human trafficking, which Mm -hmm. I kind of thought was primarily an international issue as opposed to ours, or I should say a foreign issue, but now I'm totally flabbergasted by the extent of uh, the sex trafficking industry right here. That's true. Yeah, and in fact, North Carolina is one of the worst states for it. Is it really? Yes, it is, sadly. And uh, so I started working on this book on and off during deployments, and I published it in 2012. And then I had a lot of really good people give me good advice, not only on my poor writing, but also on the content. (laughs) So I revised the book a year later, and it's very, very good. And I am working on the second revision right now that will hopefully be published in September. And it's even better. And well, good, good for you. Yeah. And one of the things I offer in this second revision is that anybody who bought the original edition, if they contact me, I will give them a copy of the revision for free. Okay. Well, that's yeah. a good offer. Well, it's a fair thing to do because, you know, tackling this monumental problem uh, requires that we all have the right knowledge and as much knowledge as possible. And and that's the whole purpose of my book is to make sure that every individual and every household has what one of my friends referred to as a safety Bible that will tell you absolutely everything you need to do. Well, and you have some very good practical uh, recommendations that we won't talk about yet, but we'll get to later in the show. That uh, I I find uh, you know I don't have 
I don't. I haven't done what what you're recommending, and I just think they're great ideas. Well, thank you. So, um, you you really provided in your book some uh, astonishing statistics about uh, crime, hum- human trafficking, missing persons, and that kind of thing. Yes, and and one of the things that I tried to emphasize in the beginning of the book is having researched uh, many of the statistics and numbers that come from the FBI and the Department of mm-hmm. Justice and other government agencies and and private organizations working and supporting the government, I found those statistics often did not match. They didn't add up. Uh, in some cases, they were so convoluted that they caused you to miss the whole point of the issue or the or the problem. Mm-hmm. So I tried to clarify that in the book that let's not get caught up in these numbers as many many people do. Right. And uh, I pointed out one problem is when I talk to people about these issues. Always, there will be one person who will say, well, I, I, I think this is a lot of hype and hysteria, <laughs> uh, you know, as far as the numbers. Yeah. So, I have to spend a lot of time convincing them that it's not yeah. and that they're not looking past a number uh, because I think we can all agree if, if we're married or we have a child that if that child disappears for us, just those first few hours are devastating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that, yeah. And if that turns into days or weeks or months, it just becomes harder and harder for us to cope with. Uh, well, I thought you really made a good point, Lee. Um, you were saying, you know, because they, they generally accepted time period as 24 hours. But you're saying two hours or right away. Yes. One hour, that, two hours. Yes, uh, you know, finally, some of the other experts who are out there, when it comes to children, they're saying if you don't find them in the first three hours, mm-hmm. uh, the problem is is drastic. And I say the first few hours because I want us to stop applying that just to children. Uh, number one, to stop with the myth of 24, 48 hours. But let's not apply that three-hour critical time period to just children. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we have older teenagers and we have husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and you know, it's just as critical for them to be found in the first few hours as it is a child. Well, and, you know, we have real case live examples in the case of um, Ariel Castro that was arrested mm. for for uh, keeping the three women secured for years in a house right down the street from where they all lived. Uh, and, you know, Philip Garrido... Um, which is right here in my area, that's, uh, Philip Carrito lives, or did live, about a half an hour from where I live. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that people were at both of those houses multiple times and nobody knew that there was something going on. Yes, and and I talk about that, and I, I know you read my book, so... 
it's kind of hard for me to be critical of our law enforcement at times, but, you know, our law enforcement is like any other professional uh, or profession. We we have really, really good ones, and, and we have those that do what they can, and, and then we have some that, you know, are less desirable, and, you know, aside from that, our law enforcement departments and agencies are stretched very, very thin these days, mm-hmm. uh, not just manpower, but their budget and resources. Right. So, yeah, they, they've made a lot of crucial mistakes, and, and in the one you were talking about with the uh, three girls from Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. unfortunately, one of those three girls was on the missing register and was inadvertently taken off. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, because they tried to contact the family a few years later, and they had moved, and instead of really trying to track that family down, which would have been easy enough, they just simply removed them from the uh, missing persons list. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Well, and, and this isn't about complaining about law enforcement. This is, no. you know, I one of the points you made, which I thought, was really succinct was that personal security is our responsibility. You know, it's it's just like um, <clears throat> one of the analogies that I make, Lee, is about identity theft. There isn't a law that you can put in place that will protect us from identity theft. We have to protect ourselves. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with personal security. I mean, law enforcement can be there, but they can only be there after a crime is committed. Exactly, and I point that out, that in most cases, law enforcement is always reactive as opposed to proactive, and and I emphasize that very point with us. Uh, we can be proactive, and, and who's a better advocate for a missing loved one than uh, the spouse or the, or the parent? Right, exactly. So, you know, and, and police are, are, are great. I mean, I love them. Uh, but, you know, we are the true advocates and we are the ones who are responsible for our children. And we need to stop saying that once they go away to school or, or some other activity, that they're not our responsibility while we're away from them from those two or three hours. We, mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. 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 And so. Well, and you have a, a list of things that I, you know, I, um, some some of these things I think we've all experienced, like being shopping with your child and turning around and they're not there and panicking, you know, and uh, or being in the park with your with your children and all of a sudden you're missing one of them. Now that doesn't mean that somebody has taken them, but it certainly heightens your awareness. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, but it could have meant somebody would, they'd been taken. Exactly, and and I talk about. Our responsibility to not only educate ourselves, but to educate our children. And we have to talk to them about these, uh, what I call mishaps, but we need to talk to them about things that can be a little more tragic than a mishap. And in there, I talk about different uh, scenarios where we can use technology to mm-hmm. help us. And that technology is no longer expensive. It no longer requires that we hire someone for a lot of money to help us with that technology. It's, it's simple and it's cheap. Um, so we need to find out what it is and we need to start using it. And what kind of technology do you recommend, Lee? 
Well, as you read, I mean, there's a laundry list depending uh, on what the scenario is. And one thing I know kids are going to love me for is <laughs> I recommend cell phones. Yeah. Uh, you know, not only can we use that cell phone to our advantage, where family members can keep in constant contact with one another, but we can use the GPS feature. That's exactly. in that cell phone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then we don't need to go out and buy a personal or individual GPS bracelet or anklet or whatever we need. We can use the cell phone. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, you can program the, you set up the cell phone so they can only call like 911 and their parents. They don't have to be on all the social media. You can prohibit that. Absolutely. And for those that can't afford the, Contracts, I talk to them about the disposable phones, the no-contract phones, and they can do the same thing. They can put on text messaging. They can put on browsing uh, the Internet or just leave it off. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I talked about these phones you can buy that are not a cell phone. They're nothing more than an emergency device. So if you or a loved one is walking down the street and you become nervous, you just simply open your phone and you touch one of the three buttons for emergency or medical or fire Mm -hmm. and you will get an operator on the line and Mm. you can explain what's happening. Mm. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know what, what's that called? I've never heard of that before. Uh, There's several products out there and it's nothing more than an electronic monitoring service, just like what we have inside our Mm. homes. Okay. The alarm systems, uh, I have one in my home that I strongly recommend, and it's the one that is monitored uh, both by video and sound. Okay. Uh, you've seen the commercials, so, you know, when the guy breaks in the door, the the monitor comes over and tells him to get out of the house. Right. And it sounds a little hokey on the commercial, but it's actually very, very effective because if someone breaks into a house and, and all of a sudden someone's talking to them over a speaker and warning them that the police are being called, they're going to turn around and get out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That's very yeah. good. Okay. You know, we have so much more to talk about, Lee. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. 
talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. PI and security consultant Lee Ives is here to discuss security measures that you can easily put in place for your family and your business. Lee, you have a packet, you you call a security packet, that you recommend. Let's go through what you recommend for people to do right away. Okay, I will. Uh, As part of a private investigator and when I was in law enforcement, a big push by many private organizations were to have children uh, go out and get these laminated uh, cards that identified them, and it often included fingerprints. And I think most of us in the private investigative industry and law enforcement realize that those little cards aren't of that much use because, number one, everything on there we already know about our loved one and can provide to the police, and number two, the fingerprints are not usable. Uh, There's also some kits being sold by various vendors out there that are what I call my individual protection packet where we collect certain information and we try to come up with certain tools to help you find your child. Mm -hmm. So I looked at all those different things being provided by these organizations and by their vendors, and they, they're just inadequate. Okay. Uh, and, and most private investigators that I've talked to who work missing person cases uh, realize that as well. So I spent a lot of time developing what I call the Individual Protection Packet, or an IPP, And two parts of that is the biographical form that we actually used overseas in uh, terrorist investigations and and missing persons investigations. And that biographical form is about 64 questions that any good investigator or any good police officer should know to ask a person. Like, Like what, Lee? Okay, well, you know, there's a statistic that says when the police show up that it takes two hours to collect all the information they need. And and we already said you have to find a loved one in two hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a problem. Right. So in this biographical form, you will have ready for the police the full name, all the identifying data of your loved one. Uh, a date of birth, a social security number, the exact height, weight, color of eyes, identifying marks, scars, tattoos, uh, many, many questions that we should know to ask, but we forget. So they're all right there on that form. 
not only do I ask you to identify these characteristics, but other ones. Does, does a child have a lisp or a loved one have a lisp? Do they walk with a limp? Uh, what are some of their favorite hobbies? What are the, some of their favorite colors, things they like to do? Mm-hmm. So there are a number of questions that will fully identify the characteristics of a missing loved one uh, because many people that kidnap our children, uh, as we know, their parents, their family members, their uh People who know our loved ones, they were mm-hmm. acquainted with them in some way, and then some of them are just strangers. So, uh, are you, Lee, recommending everybody in the family do one of these? Yes, I am. I, okay. I tell you how to put together that biographical form, how to put together that laminated emergency identification card that is unique to your loved one uh, in the event the missing incident is just a mishap. The rest of the IPP includes specific photographs, uh, a short video clip of 30 seconds, one that's a little bit longer that can be used by police. So imagine if the police have all the photographs they need of your child in their current, and we're talking about a facial profile, uh, side profiles, a full body shot, and then they have a short video clip that they can uh, text to other police officers. Uh, so if there is a uh, suspected sighting, then you can simply send this information to that police officer you know, who's on the other side of the United States or, or for that fact in another country, and they can show that short video clip to a possible witness. Mm-hmm. So, which is better, a few pictures or an actual video clip? Right. And I'm assuming you've done this with your whole family. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it takes a little bit of work. So, if you do it on one person and you go to do it on other people in your family, it's going to take a little bit of worth, work. But you know what? It, I, I find it's, it's easier and quicker than going out and mowing your lawn. <laughs> and, and less taxing. <laughs> yes, much less taxing. Okay. Uh, so, well, you know, some of the other things that it asks in there is to identify all family members. Because, again, one of the primary sources of, or one of the primary uh, violators of kidnapping is family abductions. And, right. and that word family is not just parents. It's other family members. Right. So now we will identify everybody in the family so the police know exactly who they are and how to get hold of them. We will identify close associates of our children, who their boyfriends and girlfriends are. And it's anybody that your child has contact with. And then we get into those suspicious contacts. Mm-hmm. So if there may have been someone that was close to your loved one, but there was some type of issue with them at some point, uh, a former boyfriend or a former girlfriend or, or anyone of that nature, a uh, former coach who you did not feel comfortable with, so you took your child out of that program mm-hmm. and put them somewhere else, 
but it was nothing you could really put your fingers on. Well, now we're going to identify that person as a potential suspect. Uh, so we're putting all these people together. We're even identifying uh, who their doctors are, who their dentists are. And this way, when the police need to go interview these doctors and dentists to get medical records and to get dental records, they know exactly where to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I even recommend making copies of some of these records that you can scan and download into your individual protection packet and have all those right on file. So Uh, this sounds like it has to be a fluid document that you update um, periodically, do you have a schedule in your family where where you update all this information? Yes, and it's very easy advice when there's any significant change. Okay. So if something has changed and you have read those 64 questions, then you're going to have an idea of what you need to change. So uh, if your child goes out and gets a new tattoo and it's their only tattoo, uh, then obviously you want to go in and check that document. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, you know you may want to go in there and include them because it's not just the person you're identifying. I'm having you identify all modes of transportation. Mm-hmm. So I have seen some really, really good wanted posters out there, uh, missing person posters, where not only did they include a picture of who they think may have kidnapped the child, but a picture of their car, which included a license plate. Interesting. Yeah. So we had the one case here in North Carolina again. I I don't want to give too much bad press to my state. Oh, no, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a wonderful state. Um, But, you know, there was a young child of 12 years old that was involved with uh, an adult, and, and they really should not have been, and the parents should not have let it gone so far. But somehow the parent had the license plate and a description of the suspect's car. So when he convinced that 12-year-old that they were going to run off to Florida and get married, and this guy was like in his 30s, uh, they were able to give the police a uh, a description of the car and the actual license plate. Hmm. So I take it one step further. I, I tell you, go out and take a picture. And and how easy is it today with a cell phone to go out and take a picture of your boyfriend or girlfriend's car or yeah. someone else? Absolutely, that's uh, a good a good tip. Yeah. Uh, and with and with kids, you would have to get pictures updated every every year. Yeah. Yeah, at least every year. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, the picture you will have on file is going to be a lot better than the uh, picture you have framed that was probably a glamour shot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not a true representation of the child. So So you just want a candid shot? Yes, I just want a candid shot. Okay. Of what they look like and the clothes they wear every day. Okay. And, uh, And that video clip. And I also talk a lot about dating. I talk about date rape. Uh, I talk about date rape drugs. So, you know, another thing I recommend is when people go out and they're out there that they let somebody know with a simple text message where they are and who they're with. And how easy is it to uh, 
meet someone in a bar, uh, be it a, a casual acquaintance or a date or online date or whatever, and just to take a picture of them and then simply text that picture to someone. And if you don't want to deal with your parents, then you can text it to a friend. Mm-hmm. And now there's a picture. And one of the cases I describe is Kelly. Uh, I, I can't say her last name offhand, but she was a, a young female soldier in Fort Bragg who went to a bar and disappeared. Nobody ever saw her again. And, uh, you know, we later found out that some text messages were sent, but nobody's quite sure if she sent them or did the person who kidnapped her sent them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I try to encourage people to start texting messages to one another. And how easy is that to just text a short message to someone saying, okay, I'm... uh, I'm leaving my house and I'm going to this restaurant or I'm going to that bar or I'm going to so-and-so's house. And that's it. Now we have a clue of where they went. Mm-hmm. And then when they get there, they can update that with a short message. I just arrived and I will be here for the next several hours. So now we're given the police and ourselves a point of reference. We're giving them a timeline. Yeah, you've got a timestamp. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, now we know where to go to interview witnesses. Uh, we know where to go to find a uh, a videotape. Mm-hmm. So if they're at a particular restaurant, well, you know, there, there may very well be videotapes at that restaurant that sees when they arrive and when they leave and who they're with. And, Lee, when do you recommend getting a private investigator involved? Uh there's a chapter I wrote specifically for private investigators, uh, and I hope our private investigators read it. But in there, it tells people how to go out and find a private investigator right now. Don't put it off until there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're saying ahead? Of, are you saying ahead before somebody's missing? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, just like you might a lawyer. Okay. So. Go out, find yourself a good private investigator. You have plenty of time to find the one you like. And once you have this investigator, now you can contact them. But if you don't do it in advance, I tell you how to do it when the tragedy is struck. And I recommend that somebody does that as soon as the police have been called. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because the police are there, we're going to let them do their job, we're going to support them 100%, and I even recommend that you tell the police that you're considering a private investigator. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you can find that private investigator, go out and hire them, and in that chapter on hiring a private investigator, I explain why. Because as soon as that police officer goes back to his office, he has many, many other cases and issues to deal with. Right. And, and sometimes it's not his choice how he prioritizes a right. case. Right, that's right. Yeah. So he may have a case that he wants to work on, but his boss may have a case that he's going to tell him he works, he's going to work on. Mm-hmm. So we want that private investigator who's out there supporting you and has a special interest in your child or your loved one, your wife, well, uh, and unfortunately, um, 
I would say that usually when it's a missing teen, they don't immediately think it's foul play. They think the kid is, they think the child is run off. They think they're with their friends. There's all kinds of things that, that play into it because maybe it's just a feeling of the parent that there's something wrong. Yes, you're very right. And I get into that. I describe that and I describe how you can communicate with the police properly so they don't misunderstand you or take your case lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we tend to do that when we're in a crisis situation. We tend to freeze up. So we want to get that police to understand those suspicions that we can't quite articulate. Mm-hmm. And, and I will get into that a lot. And I even teach people how to hone their own skills. Yeah. Uh, and their suspicions, because that's something the average person doesn't do. Uh, well, you make a good point that you have to, if you have an uneasy feeling, follow through on it, because it's, there's something telling you there's something wrong. Exactly, and, and never, ever disregard that. Always go with your gut instinct, mm-hmm. uh, because it's worked. It's worked in many, many times. So, you know, we will teach people how to get that private investigator involved. Now, that private investigator is going to have that IPP to start working with, mm-hmm. and, and they're going to be able to do things that police can't do, and I describe that. Uh, you know, if a police officer needs to travel to California from the East Coast or needs to go to the Bahamas or Mexico, that's not an easy thing to do. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> no, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if you can get the FBI involved because it's a uh, interstate or a international incident, well, now you're trying to get the federal government involved, uh, and, and that's difficult. Mm-hmm. So that private investigator, as we all know, he can just pick up and go. Right. He doesn't need to get country clearance. The family has to have resources to hire that investigator. Yes, exactly. That's part of the problem. Yeah, and many of us have contacts. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm a member of uh, various uh, professional associations like you are. So, you know, if we can't afford to actually send the investigator, then we can make a phone call. Uh, I had a case not too long ago where I contacted someone in Mexico to uh, go out and do the footwork Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just a lot less expensive than sending me down there on a plane and staying in a hotel. Right. So, you know, there, we know as private investigators how to uh, get over these hurdles. Well, that, that's really good um, because, I mean, people don't realize probably that, that local law enforcement is not allowed often to just, they just can't take off and go to, say, across the country uh, because they don't have a budget for that. And they have other things to do. They have, they have violent crimes to solve, which really is usually the, the police department's focus. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it looks so easy on TV, doesn't it? It does. It looks so easy <laughs> on TV, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we need to take another really quick break, uh, Lee. That was the voice of Lee Ives, author of Vanished, How to Protect Yourself and Your Children. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Hey, today's program is with Lee Ives. It's about personal security, and we were just talking about uh, a strategy for your family or or for your employees, either one, um, that you can prepare for an emergency. And I I think we're just gonna we want to summarize all those things because I don't want to leave anything out. So um, you, we started out with the biographical form, right? Yes, we did. Okay, and. Uh, one thing I want to point out too, right before we jump into that, uh, there's chapters on personal security and physical security. Mm-hmm. So in there, the reader can go through, read exactly what pertains to personal security, what options they have. Then they can go to physical security and read those options as well. And I even gave prices and where to find this uh, technology. So it gives the person the ability to pick and choose what they want, and it gives them a, a very, very good understanding of why they need it. Well, I can, and I can tell you reading the stats, it scares your socks off. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so the biographical form and then the emergency identification card. Yes, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about the emergency identification card, the biographical form, and then I'm going to get into photographs, and I detail the exact type of photographs that law enforcement needs. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's going to help you. Oh. Then I talk about the two video clips, right. and I tell you exactly how to make those short video clips, but... It's more than a video clip that enables someone to see your loved one, but they can hear them. 
uh, how they speak, what kind of accent they have, uh, or a dialect. But that video clip also becomes a voice print that law enforcement can use at a later date. Oh, good. Very good. Uh, I get into the fingerprints, and I tell you exactly how to take the fingerprints and who can do them for you. Uh, so we tend to think of 10 prints, but I teach you how to go in and get blade prints and palm prints. And, of mm-hmm. course, if you have a small child, we can even get footprints. Right. But, yeah, because most of the hospitals have stopped taking uh footprints of newborn babies. Hmm. I didn't always know where that. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the pictures a second because I thought these tips about the pictures were really important. You said, take a facial picture from the bottom of the neck to an, in- to an inch above the top of the head. Exactly. Profile pictures of both sides of the head, left and right, and the back of the head. Now, I would not have thought of doing all of those. Um, and you, you also said the background should be plain or a light color or a white, kind of a, a white wall, light colored wall. Yes, and, and, and that's to eliminate any distractions. When, when we have witnesses looking at pictures, we want them to focus on the, the person. Exactly. And then you said a full body photograph, front, both sides, yes. and the back. Again, making sure the black background is, is plain. Yes. Um, and, and if you saw the back of my head, you would understand why that's necessary. <laughs> I, won't, I won't get into that. <laughs> and then um, I thought it was also important to um, cl- take close-up shots of the any identifying marks. Yes, scars. Scars. Tattoos. Exactly. Yeah. Birthmarks, anything like that. Anything like that. It makes it so much simpler for law enforcement. Yeah. Really good. Okay. And then you said the fingerprints. We talked about the fingerprints. Yes. Uh, and, and fingerprints are wonderful. And I tell you where to get those, you know, and usually that's your law enforcement. And I even tell you about how to properly get all the digits on your finger and the fingertips and the blades and palms of your hands because a lot of times both us and law enforcement forgets to do that. Right. And in many cases, that's all we're going to have. And you can go into any law enforcement agency and pay a small fee and get your fingerprints done. Absolutely. And you can opt to have them put in the computer system, or you can opt just to get a hard copy of them and keep them with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then dental records. Uh-huh. Yes, and as we know, there's several organizations that are out there that try to identify dead bodies. Uh, often we find nothing more than the skeletons of bodies. So we're going to need those dental records to, you know, identify a loved one or, or a dead body. Uh, and I think at this moment, there's over 100,000 bodies that have been recovered, and we still haven't figured out who they belong to. All right. True. Um, and then uh, this is a really important one, a DNA swab, which is really easy to do. It's so you know, easy. You can just you can get it from your local pharmacy. You just swab the inside of the cheek and stick it into a little tube or a, a, I guess it's a box, a little square box. Yep. And, yep. and, uh, and you, you know. That. Yes. And I think every law, every private investigator out here 
we know a private lab that will give us a DNA reading, whereas if the police need to get that DNA reading, it may take them anywhere from a week to a month. Mm-hmm. So it's very cheap now for us to get that DNA sample, send it off to a private lab, and we will have a DNA reading on a loved one right there. And there's some uh, online uh, facilities, too, that you can get a quick turnaround. Yes, and and I think it costs, if I remember correctly, around $130 a person. So you get a $5 DNA kit. You take their DNA, you mail it in, or you take it to a, uh, a lab, and you'll have it back in a matter of a week, and it only costs you uh, less than $200. Yeah. But even if you don't want to go that extra step, you could still have the swab in your, your IPP kit. Yes. And yes, you can seal that and keep it forever. The DNA doesn't go away. It's going to still be there. Yeah, Exactly. And then you said medi- any medical records? Yes, we want lots of medical records because, again, if there's broken bones involved and other things that will eventually help us identify a loved one should uh, you know, they uh, be deceased. So we want the medical records. But we also need to let law enforcement, and law enforcement needs to know certain medical conditions. So... You know, if we have a parent who has kidnapped someone, they may not know of a condition for that child. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if the police know it, as you said, the police may work on a more violent case. But if they know your child has a medical condition and that child doesn't have any medicine, Right. Then it becomes a priority. Yeah. Then it becomes a priority. Absolutely. Now, this is one... I've never heard about before. I mean, it makes sense, but I haven't ever thought about it. Is an iris scan to get that from your ophthalmologist? Yes, you do. I uh, I am diabetic, uh, and you wouldn't know what to look at me. <laughs> but when I go in to get my eye exam every year, they take a picture of my iris. Huh. So you know, there's a, there's a good picture of your eyes. So if you let someone know that there's an issue of fingerprints or some of the other thing, that iris may be what you'll rely on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So you're, you're just your regular optometrist or if you go to an ophthalmologist, um, I guess you can get that, that image. Yes, you can. Never thought about that before. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, in that biographical form I was telling you about, too, I, I kind of left it out. I also identify all forms of communication that your loved one uses, uh, as well as all their credit cards and everything else they use. Mm-hmm. Because all of us know that as soon as someone turns up missing, we're going to start pinging that cell phone. And we're going to put all the financial institutions on alert. So if they start using that ATM card or worse, someone has taken that away from them and they're using it, then we know exactly where we can go to see that transaction. And with every ATM usually comes a uh, videotape. Well, I'm just looking at your recommendations on the biographical form and and, um, some things like nicknames. Yes. I think people don't usually think about putting down nicknames. Um, their religion, uh, identifying their race even and their sex. You know, even though it's a given, they know that. But it's to put it down in writing. 
uh, what languages they speak and how how fluent they are in the language. Yes. Um, just re- email addresses. Um, just um, very good, uh, very good recommendations. Yeah, and think about it. I mean, if your child has an email address that you use and you're familiar with, but if you sit down with every member of the family and put this together, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. Uh, if you put this together, then you may look at your child and say, well, is this your only email address? And they may say, no, I have two or three others. I have right. one I use at work. I have one that I use uh, when I'm hunting for jobs. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get all this information. Well, and practically everybody has more than one email address these days. Absolutely. You just never think about that because you only think about the one you know about. Yeah. And I will also talk about the dangers of the Internet. And that's something that everybody overlooks. So I will talk to parents about how to monitor the Internet, uh, how to use software programs to help that with them. If they don't, if they're worried about invasion of privacy, then how to put the monitor and the computer in a room mm-hmm. where you can walk up at any point and look over their shoulders and see what they're doing. Yeah. And and the online pornography and uh you know there's estimated now that uh you know most children that are involved in pornography and child prostitution that there's anywhere from uh, 400,000 to 2 million children and the average age is 14. Yeah, that's very good. So, yeah, yeah, so our kids are being exposed uh, to a lot of bad things over the Internet, and we need to get a handle on that. Well, I'm also looking at your 21 rules uh, to follow that includes, <laughs> uh, of course, your, um, you know, your, what do you call your IPP, your, what does that stand for? Uh, individual protection packet. Yeah, individual protection packet, that the way you communicate, your emergency telephone numbers, all the things that we all should be doing, but we're often lax. We often, yeah. you know, don't think anything's going to happen to us, so we don't follow through on a lot of these things. Yeah, and we don't tackle them one at a time. Right. Uh, you know, we make the rules up as we go along, and parents forget them, and the teenagers forget them. So now you got a list of rules, and you can sit down and go over them with your children and decide what you want to do. Exactly. Well, Lee, we're at the end of the show, um, but this has been uh, really good. Thank you so much for joining the show today. I really appreciate it. It's a very weighty topic and something we all should pay pay attention to. So, um, listeners, join me again next week when we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Lee Ives every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel.